So I'll be the first to admit, there are a lot of us podcasting gurus out here. And whenever you find yourself in the podcasting corner of social media, you probably see a few new ones pop up. That might even be how you found me. The thing is, it can be hard to tell whether that person is truly an expert who has either grown their own show to impressive heights or they've worked directly on other shows that have been successful. And you really can't know until you get past their social media posts, get into their long-form content, so their podcast or their YouTube or their newsletter, and dig into what it is that they actually teach. Now, most podcast experts that I come across are simply experts in launching shows and publishing consistently. They're not experts in growth, and they haven't really actually generated big results. And I'm not hating on them. They mean well, but they don't have as much of a track record. But when I do come across a podcast expert who knows what they're talking about, I think it's my duty to bring them here so they can share their knowledge with you. This is Grow the Show, the podcast to help you grow your podcast. My name is Kevin Schmidlin. I am your podcast growth coach. My first podcast reached 100,000 downloads and $100,000 monetized in 18 months. And this podcast has reached over 50,000 listeners and has driven over 2.5 million in revenue for my business. And I usually don't add all those numbers, but I figured I should after just talking about people who may or may not be podcast experts. Now, I'm not the most successful podcaster ever by any means, but I am confident in calling myself an expert because of what I've achieved and what my clients have achieved. And today, I'm excited to share with you another true podcasting expert. His name is Jeremy Enns. Jeremy is an expert in podcast marketing, and he's the creator of the Podcast Marketing Academy, where he helps specifically business owners improve and expand their podcasts. And he too has generated amazing results. I've been following Jeremy for a long time, and he and I have gotten together to talk shop quite a bit. And trust me, he knows what he's talking about. And he's also got an incredible newsletter that shares really good stuff every week. So I invited him on the show to share his framework for how to grow and monetize a podcast. Now, my framework is called The Podcast Ladder, and I recently outlined it in the 12 Days of Podcast Growth, a daily podcasting series that I did in December. So mine's called The Podcast Ladder. Jeremy's framework is called EARS, E-A-R-S, and he's gonna share it with you today. In this episode, you can look forward to learning three main things, and they're gonna sound familiar. Number one, it's gonna be the importance of having a unique concept or premise from your podcast. Number two, Jeremy's going to outline strategies for promoting your show and engaging with your audience to grow the show. And number three, he's gonna dive into how you can convert your listeners into paying customers. Hopefully that sounds familiar. Jeremy's also gonna share a surprising insight on why the last few minutes of your podcast might be the key to listener retention that you never knew about. And I certainly was surprised to hear it. So if you're ready to grow your podcast audience, create more engaging content, and ultimately increase your revenue, stick around to this episode of Grow the Show. Jeremy Enns, welcome to Grow the Show. So excited finally to have you on here, man. I want to thank you for joining. Welcome aboard. I would love for you to kick us off by kind of giving me a little bit of background on how the heck you got involved in this weird world that we call podcasting. First of all, thanks so much for having me on. It's been good to hang out at the past couple of podcast movements and in real life. And now to do this on the show, always fun to nerd out podcast marketing and growth stuff. But uh, yeah, I came into podcasting through the technical side. So I went to uh, audio engineering and production school and wanted to work in the music industry and uh, did about a year of interning a couple of days a week at a big recording studio in Vancouver, where I'm originally from. 
realized pretty quickly, took a year, but I think it was clear to me earlier on that like this was not really the career path I wanted. If I was to go back now, I was thinking I'd be able to get a job at a studio and have some kind of more traditional career structure. And it's super entrepreneurial, but it's in a very kind of like <laughs> industry that doesn't have a lot of money. So it's a tough market to work in. And so at the time, I felt really bad, like opting out of that. I'd put all this time and money and, and schooling into doing this thing. And I always loved music. I played in bands, all this stuff. And then like leaving that and seeing a lot of my friends who were like still in the industry kind of grinding away. I felt not like a sellout because it wasn't like I was making a ton more money, but I was just like, oh, I guess I wasn't cut out for this. But I kind of like found my way into podcasting over the next couple of years, first through as a listener. And the first shows I looked up were like, I'd gone traveling for a year and kind of came back and was like, and how do I do that all the time? So I just like saved up, took a year off, went traveling, came back and is like, how do you like start your own business or what is this about? And this was like 2015, 2014, something like that. And I'd heard about podcasts, but never listened. And so I decided to like to go into iTunes at the time. And I was like, you know, online business, creative business, something like that. And of course, back then there was already tons of shows. Pat Flynn was up and running. There's a bunch of others. Yeah. And just like started, I worked, at, was working a job, uh, just landscaping where I could listen to podcasts all day, every day. So I probably listened to like 50 to 60 hours a week of podcasts, like 2x speed. Wow. And just like so much content over the course of about a year. And about halfway through, I kind of made the connection. At first, I was building actually a photography business. And then I realized like I was doing the whole audience growth. I was going to make courses on photography, all this stuff. And at some point I realized, oh, I'm an audio engineer. It's way easier to start a service business. I have the skill. People need it. I am now like an expert at podcasting via listening. Yeah. Podcast production is so incredibly easy if you have produced, you know, big music sessions with like literally hundreds of tracks of audio and like done sound design and all that kind of stuff. So it was just, oh, this is easy for me. There's people who need it. This kind of industry is taking off. And so it was like pretty immediate that I started getting clients and built up an agency over the next few years and then kind of have made my way into the marketing side of things over the past three or four years. It's one thing to do audio production, but podcast growth is a totally different game. And now, you know, these days, I would say you're one of the industry leaders in podcast marketing. So how did you work your way into that becoming your expertise? Yeah, so I started uh, producing episodes for clients in 2015. I think I got the first clients and built up the agency then. And it was around 2018, 19, where it seemed like things just got harder. We would get clients, we'd help them launch their shows. They'd like do really well. They'd just be growing. And then like, Shows that started launching in that range just started capping out, you know, a couple hundred listeners an episode, three, four hundred, whatever it was. And they're thinking, you know, they've all had their friends and their coaches and all these people say like, oh, just start a podcast. You'll get, you know, thousands of listeners. You don't. It's so easy. And like there was a time when that was true. And then there was this period where like people were still like saying like, oh, this will just happen for you. It worked for me. It'll do. You should do a podcast and you're gonna have the same results. And so people started doing it and they weren't getting the same results. And so then, you know, as the producer of the show, they're asking me like, okay, what do we need to do to like grow this? Because like, you know, if we're investing a couple thousand dollars a month, we want that to result in something, which is, you know, where a lot of people are at. Yeah. And so I just started as I'm like a classic creative. I like wrote poetry. It's still do. And like in the music industry and like the metal and hardcore scene, like super like marketing's like anathema to the whole ethos of that scene. So I was like, yeah, kind of anti-marketing. But at this point, I mean, I had my own business, so I needed to do a little bit of that. And then clients are asking me like, what do we do? And I'm like, oh shit, I better like figure this out or we're going to lose these clients because they're not getting results. And so essentially I just started like talking. I interviewed all my like 25 or 30 clients had at the time, all like my friends that I had, some who had like really big shows really successfully. 
some who were like newer, who had been around for a while and just interviewed a ton of people. And at the end came up with this curriculum that was like, oh, there's some things that like all the successful shows, they do all these things. And there's things that all the shows that kind of struggle, like they're all focusing on these things that the big shows aren't. And there's a bit of, okay, there's certainly some, you started early, you got some advantages there. And so it kind of had to, there were some things that the big shows often didn't realize that they had just got lucky and they were actually yeah. not following best practices, but they didn't really need to at that point. But it was kind of just a lot of talking to people. And initially I, I kind of was just gonna, my goal is to create a course for my internal clients and not even offer it publicly and just say like, here's a perk for working with us. And kind of at the, like the last second before I actually hit record on the videos, I was like, eh, maybe I should position this publicly and it'll just be a benefit to the clients. Then got more involved with like sharing all that stuff publicly. So I'm curious because I've worked with a few clients who have come to me and they're like, I've been podcasting since 2012, 2015, and I don't know what it is, but my show stopped growing in 2018, right? Like it stopped being easy. You're absolutely right. Like there was an early movers advantage. There was way less competition then. Also like until, I don't know, I feel like at this point, at most people have given podcast listening a try, right? So like, I feel like 2014 to like maybe 2021, you got this new, like the, everything was growing. But I'm curious, your take so it got harder in 2018. Since then, like since 2018, do you think that things have changed at all? Do you think it's gotten harder, easier, different? Like what's your take on that? I think it's diversified a lot in like the types of shows that are out there. So I think it still has got harder overall. But I think there's also been some like rise in popularity of different verticals. Like, And maybe that was just part of my bubble was like very business world focused back then. I had a lot of clients in the like nutrition and wellness space. So there was a lot of that as well. But I feel like entertainment style shows, I mean, Serial really just like blew the doors open on a whole new genre, not just true crime even, but like, yeah. And I mean, narrative shows existed, but I think it really exploded the popularity of like a whole new category of a type of show almost that has now, I mean, it's become popular. It's also competitive. And they're also, I would say, harder shows to do well. Yeah. Because I, I just think like once you get into the entertainment side of things, I think it really relies on you being in a truly exceptional talent or like have exceptional charisma that not everybody yeah. has. Like you think like not everybody can be a Hollywood actor or, you know, whatever, an A-list musician. Like when you get into entertainment, it's a different game than like teaching something. And so I think that's a really hard game to play. You can try, but I think nobody is guaranteed to be successful there. Yeah, that's such a good distinction because I hear from a lot of podcasters who are in entertainment and they they think that it'll be an easier way to make tons of money. And it's like, talk to anybody who's actually in show business. Like, it's not easy to make tons of money that way. It's a great distinction. Okay, cool. So it sounds like what you're saying is you focus more so on that educational sort of impact-driven content, yeah? Yeah. You can have a much easier time like frameworking that out and saying like, okay, here are the pieces that you put these in place. You map your information or education onto it and like you can get results. Whereas entertainment, there's a lot of variables that are just down to the person. Yeah. So one of my teammates saw your presentation at Podcast Movement a few months ago. And I forget what I was doing when, when you went on, but he texted me. He was like, we have to have Jeremy on the show <laughs> to talk about what it's so. I was so excited to dive into your framework for growing a podcast. But before we talk about that, is there anything that our listeners should know before diving into marketing their podcast? Are there any prerequisites or anything like that? Honestly, I feel like there is a, I don't even know what to call it. There's like a time prerequisite that I think it's really, I think it's impossible to do marketing well until you have 
some experience under your belt. Like you've produced a number of episodes and there's just like, usually I don't, I really say to people, like, I don't really like working with people who are less than a year into their show because I just feel like you've got so much to like figure out production and all these other things, like where I want to start working with people, at least this is me personally, you can start thinking about marketing and all that stuff beforehand. But like, I feel like it's hard to do anything, two of these things well, like learning the production mechanics of producing a show and then thinking about marketing it at the same time. It's interesting because a lot of my philosophy on marketing is like, yeah, it, it is infused from the ground up. Your content strategy and like everything, the show concept, everything like is marketing to some extent. But you just need to like get a ton of reps in first to be like, OK, yeah, I can produce my show well now, or at least to like a decent, you know, it's not going to be the best show in the world, but it's like I can do this. It's I don't have to really think about it that much. Now I can really think about like marketing more intentionally. And so you can learn about marketing and try to apply it. But I don't think most people have success with it until they're like, yeah. okay, I like have it on lock how I can make a, a pretty solid show to begin with. Yeah, I agree. We don't bring in anybody who hasn't already launched or at least established consistency because yeah, you have to have that skill just kind of in flight before we even talk about growing the thing. Totally agree. So that said, let's dive into it, man. Our listeners are business owners with shows. They're looking to grow the show. What would you take them through? How can they do that? I came up with this framework that it's essentially this very similar to how you might think about a traditional funnel. But for some reason, I was going through it for my own business and kind of content strategy and just came across this different articulation that I ended up calling the ears framework, which kind of works very nicely with podcasting. But it was also kind of came out how I just uh, naturally articulated it. I didn't (laughs) even notice that. (laughs) Ears, we listen. Oh, my God. Amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So essentially, it's uh, exposure, attraction, retention and sales. And so those are the four kind of components. And so essentially for me, like you need to have each of these components in place to be successful with your marketing. So if you're missing any one of these, or if you're like weak in any one of these, you're probably that's going to be a bottleneck that's holding you back from greater success. And so the kind of high level view is exposure is like, how are you getting in front of potential listeners? Attraction is like, what about your show when they see it is actually compelling enough to pull them back. And so we can get into tons of stuff there around like cover art and messaging and packaging and website and like any kind of initial early touch point that somebody might have with the show, like what's getting them over the line to click play. Retention is then like once they click play, are they sticking around past the first three minutes, past the first episode and coming back more? And then sales is obviously sales, how you're getting people to buy your product or service. Yeah, I'm excited to dive into each of those. And what's funny is, so I've been podcasting for five, maybe six years. I've been a quote unquote podcast expert since 2020. And with time, kind of boiled down to almost an identical framework, but mine's in a different order. So I would say mine is more like RM, (laughs) (laughs) A-R-E-M. But I'm really, really curious, before we dive into each individual one, can you talk about why they are in this specific order? So this is, it's interesting. And I think ours are probably actually more similar than they appear on the surface. So I, it's kind of almost once I came with, up with it, it's like, oh, the ears work so well, I'm going to keep it in that order. Ah, right. But usually, so essentially the order is the process that a listener would take through the show, ideally. But where I work with people, it's actually, and this is the other reason I don't do this, I start with A with the attraction. And so it ends up being arse, which is kind of like, then we're getting into like a cuss, kind of cussing framework. And I'm like, well, maybe we shouldn't like go with that. We'll keep it ears, the sanitized version. But when I work with people, we almost always start with like, what about the show concept? We have to start there because like everything is downstream of that. And like, if you have just a boring, generic kind of commodity type show, there's like no amount of money you can throw at it. There's like literally nothing you can do to actually grow that show. And so 
that's like this huge lever for if like you come up with a really interesting differentiated show, it takes way less effort to market it. It's way faster to grow it. And yeah. everything is much easier. So that's kind of how I would work with people. But the ears is how a listener would flow through that kind of cycle. Way more memorable. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> hilarious. All right, cool. So let's dive into each one. So which one do we talk about first? Which one should we start with? Yeah, so I, I always start with people with the attraction, most typically. And uh, that's where most people, and I think when we talk about like podcasting getting way harder around 2018, 19, 20, what's been exciting to me, it's a bit, you probably aren't excited about this if you're creating your own show because it means like the bar is going up. But the idea of like concept or premise has become so much more important. And there's just so many more people coming up with interesting show ideas rather than like it used to be like, an interview show about this topic with like the world's leading experts. And now like that has been so saturated that it is almost impossible. People will still continue to do this, but likely they're famous or they have some kind of incredible credibility that the average person does not have that makes them inherently interesting. Yeah. Think of like the Lex Friedmans of the world where it's like or Andrew Huberman's. It's like there's something about them that is more interesting than the average Joe starting an interview show on these topics that's like three hours long or whatever it totally. is. And so totally, I think that the big opportunity or potential for people who are looking to grow shows. How do I make a show that is more interesting than a standard interview show? And like, what's the hook or premise that I can build around this that is like this just engaging frame that like every episode we put through this frame is now going to be interesting because that premise is interesting at its core. And so like one of the examples I think about a lot, this is even it's still an interview show. It's still a standard interview show. And this can still be a part of many interesting show premises. They can still be based on interviews. But the YouTube show Hot Ones. Mm. And so anybody who's seen this, this is a like a celebrity interview show, which these celebrities get interviewed all day, every day, everywhere. And so it's a really hard market to stand out in. But what they've done is they've introduced this kind of this is a very gimmicky show and it's very visual in nature as well. So it doesn't work as a podcast. But like the, the premise for people who haven't seen it is there's, I think, like six questions that the host, Sean, asks each guest. And before each question, they eat a progressively spicier hot wing. And the, like the final ones are like super, super, super hot. And it's just this like, really, you hear about that and you're like, oh, that just sounds interesting. It sounds entertaining. And, you know, it also sets up that like, oh, this is a different type of interview experience. And I can just imagine like you kind of want to see you know, there's like a visceral pain element almost of like wanting to see whoever your favorite celebrity is like rolling around on the ground with, with their like mouth on fire. <laughs> I actually haven't seen rolling around on the ground, but there's some like great reactions on the show. And so like yeah. that's a way more interesting premise than just like a celebrity interview show. Another example that I, I've seen, this is a great premise as well. I think it's called Starfleet Leadership Academy. And so this is a business podcast around leadership. Some people could say pretty boring topic, but the way they explore that topic, the host does, is he watches sequentially through the Star Trek series. I don't know which uh, series it is. And from each episode distills the leadership principles that were on display in that episode. And so you think about like, this is just such a more interesting show about business leadership than any other business leadership show because the premise is so interesting. There's this unique device that they use to explore these concepts in a way that no other show does. And it also creates IP. Nobody can copy that show because like he's already done it now. Like you can't. Yeah. An interview show, it's like anybody can do the same thing. Something like that. You're like, there can only be one show like that. And as soon as somebody tries to copy it, they're like, no, 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 that guy already did it. And yep. even if like legally you could do it, it's like, you're just, you're copying his, what he already did. Shout out to Jeff Aiken, the founder, yes. or the, the host of Starfleet Leadership Academy, who was one of the very, very first students inside the Grow the Show Accelerator. It's so cool oh, that you awesome. shouted him out. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. I've come across this show, I think on Twitter, we've connected before. And I was just like, ah, that is a great premise. 
Yeah, Jeff is amazing. And all credit to him, I had nothing to do with that premise. So he just happened to be working with us. So, okay, the listener, though, is like, okay, I get it. My show needs to be a little bit different for it to really stand out. You know, maybe it shouldn't just be another 60-minute interview show interviewing successful people. So how would you recommend they try to find what their hot wing is? Like, how do they find that unique thing to make their show stand out? For me, it's often looking at what other, like, once you start to recognize whatever you call it, like formats, premises, concepts, you realize that they're everywhere. And there's a great newsletter called Formats Unpacked that essentially it does it across all media. And so there's newsletters, there's TV shows, there's podcasts, there's YouTube channels. And they essentially, I think they have guest writers do one each issue. I don't know how often the newsletter goes out, but they break down like a unique format of a piece of media and explain why it works. And so they've covered many podcasts in the past. And like read that newsletter, just even a few issues and just start looking out for like, what makes my favorite shows or any kind of content interesting? And you'll often realize that it's not just an interview. It's like the information might be good, but there's a unique way that the information is presented and framed and explored that makes it more interesting. And so once you just start to like see those things, like the easiest way to come up with an interesting format is, oh, I'm going to borrow that format from this totally different medium, different topic, whatever it is, and apply it to my concept. And you realize that this just happens again and again and again. And so like, James Clear has a newsletter, the 321 newsletter, where he shares, I think it's like three ideas from him, two quotes from other people, and one thing to think about each week. And he has a 2 million person email list or something like that. And since his newsletter became super popular when he launched it a couple of years ago, tons of people in all these different niches have done similar, like 321 or 231 or something like that. But it's totally different content, but the format is the same. And so there's this, that's not like the most hooky concept ever, but it is something that like, People saw that they're like, oh, that works. It's really easily digestible. I like that as a reader. Maybe I can do something similar for my content as well. And so that's where I would start is like notice other stuff out there and say like, you know, how could I apply something similar to this to my show? And even like another example, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. It's similar to the Hot Wings in a way, but it is in podcast format. Uh, His name's Neil Pazrika. I think it's a CH, so it could be Pazrika. But he has a show called Three Books. And there's a lot of stuff I love about this show. But essentially, the concept for this show is he invites high performers on the show. So, so far, it sounds basically like Tim Ferriss. Yeah. But what he does is he asks every guest, what were the three most uh, influential or formative books of your life? And so every interview, there's only like three questions. It's like, okay, what are the three books? And of course, they go deeper on each of those things. But it's because each person is unique and their relationship with he could have 100 different people all say the same books even. And they're all going to be different stories. And so he's got this really unique framing for the episodes where as a listener, it gives you something a little bit more tangible to grasp onto. Like you can already expect what you're going to get out of the show. And you might have some assumptions and imagine like, oh, like it makes you think, what were my favorite books or like that have been most formative for me? And so there's and he's an author as well and is, is big in the writing space. So it's on brand as well. But looking at things like that of like, what's a device I could use to explore this topic in a way that's a little bit more tangible for the listeners before they've ever listened in the first place? Yeah. I think every single client I've ever worked with, we start here, right? We start with the premise, Mm -hmm. same deal. We got to make this unique. The way I articulate it is have a cat one premise, category of one, where the combination of the audience, mission, and format is completely unique, right? So it can be a format that's used elsewhere, but if it's a different mission and for a different audience, it works, it's unique. But what I'm curious about though is in your experience, in my experience, that is the stage. Number one, it's at the beginning of our work together. But it's also the stage where folks tend to have the most resistance because I can't tell you how many people have said, 
oh, my content's great. That's fine. I just need to help growing it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh man, we're gonna have to do some work here. So I'm so curious, totally selfishly, how do you work through that resistance with the clients that you work with? I've been thinking about that a lot and it's easier to do one-on-one -on -one with people. And I, so I've done a lot of group programs I've, and I've done like membership community and things like that. It's much easier to do one-on-one -on -one when you can actually like spend an hour more really digging into some of the stuff behind it and just asking questions. Yeah. And I think like a lot of times, I think you and I who have a lot of experience in the podcasting world could ask the right questions to somebody to say like, basically just ask like, okay, why would somebody listen to this? And you can just go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper until you get to this realization that they come to that it's like, oh, I guess there isn't really any reason. And that's something that like I've heard from a lot of people, even in like the small group programs who go through one of their takeaways is like, I realized there was no reason for anybody to listen to my show. Like I was <laughs> trying to do something that, you know, I was basically cloning Amy Porterfield's show or Tim Ferriss's show or whatever. And I wasn't thinking that like they can do that because they're famous. And that's the draw to the show that it's not the content. It's them presenting the content that I think is the first step when you realize and it's a bit of a downer because a lot of times like I said I work with people who've usually been producing their show for a year yep. and a lot of times they're plateaued because they've like capped out this like okay we've got some like friends and family listen my existing network but part of that is they're doing it to be nice because they know you like you are you're not famous to them but there is a connection and so that's why people are listening whereas people who don't know you at all like there's no draw to the show from the outside so a lot of times it's getting to that realization that like, okay, the show I've constructed actually doesn't really have the potential, no matter what I do marketing wise to grow beyond this. And so we need to really look at how do we reconfigure things from the ground up. And sometimes that means like putting the show on pause for a while or just putting it on like maintenance mode and like, yeah. just let's just keep it going out. But we're going to experiment with some things and like test out maybe some different formats or look at like small tweaks we can make on route to a bigger change in the future. And it's usually like after the big change happens that things really just take off. And I've had like four or five people rebrand their shows, rename, new design, everything in the past three months. And all of them, it was like immediately. It was just like my existing audience told me like, yeah, we never really understood that before. It wasn't quite clear. This new one just landed. And like that to me is like, I'm always so happy to hear that because people have such resistance to changing what they've been doing. Yeah. And then it's like, once you actually get it right, it's just like you realize how hard you are making it for yourself and how much easier it can be. Dude, that's so much. <laughs> we have, there's so much alignment with yeah. what we say to our clients. It's crazy. People who are Grow the Show clients are going to be like, man, this is what Kevin says, but in a different font. It's awesome. <laughs> like, yeah. It's super validating for me as well that you're like, I'm like, oh my God, I say that too. <laughs> oh, yeah. One of the distinctions that we made literally just yesterday on a group call in Grow the Show was that when you have a premise that isn't unique or, you know, just basically when you have the problems that you just described, it's like those like drag race cars when they try to stop, they like throw up a huge parachute behind them. It's like having a yeah. giant parachute where it's like when you get more clear and get more unique with your premise, as you said, change the name to something that's more clear, change the artwork to something that makes more sense. It's like that that parachute gets snipped off and suddenly the show just goes so much faster without having to change anything else right about it. So it sounds like that's what you guys have experienced. Yeah, 100%. And I feel like that's a big thing that I think about a lot of times is like one of the actually first thing that I work on with people when they, and this is kind of a newer addition to the, my like flow of entry into the, the program is kind of like actually getting people to just stop doing a whole bunch of stuff that is literally useless. Even things like show notes, I tell people like, okay, for where you're at right now, yep. show notes don't matter at all. If you're spending two hours a week on this, cut it. Like put it into ChatGPT or whatever AI tool you're using and like get a single paragraph. I don't care. Links, whatever. Fine. Like make this take five minutes because this is not going to achieve 
this is not like a gross lever right now. And there's like a bunch of stuff like that, that you actually need to open up mental space, get some of that production stuff off your plate to actually be able to think a little bit deeper and experiment with some other parts of the process. This is one of the things that I've noticed is that, I don't know if you know the Eisenhower matrix. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like the urgency versus importance. Yeah. So this is like a business management type tool, I guess it was developed for. And I guess it's attributed to Dwight Eisenhower, but I don't know if he actually invented it. But it's essentially there's like urgent versus important. It's a four by four matrix. And so a lot of the things in life and in podcasting and yeah, basically everywhere, the most important things are often least urgent. And so you think about like your health and exercise and eating right and saving for retirement, all these things. It's like, oh, yeah, I'll do that one day, but it's not urgent. And so we put them off. And I feel like the most important podcast task, refining your premise and all these things also fit into that category, whereas like all of the production tasks, these are important or they're, they are both important and urgent. They need to get done every week to stick with your schedule, but they also they just are not going to have that impact on the long term. And so we like prioritize those. We've got the deadlines. We need to get the show. Out. And so we just fill up our schedule with those things and leave no time for anything else. That's bigger picture thinking. Yeah. And so a lot of times I think you, you got to like make some concessions in the short term and like maybe even like lower the quality to some extent to allow you to actually take a step forward in the future. Yeah, it's tough and it's hard. And especially after someone like joined your program, like pays you and you're like, all right, we got to change everything. They're like, what? Yeah. I thought we were just growing the show. I'm like, please trust me, stick with me. I, this is going to take a while, but this is going to work. I promise you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Quick pause on the episode today. If you're a podcaster who's overwhelmed by the editing and post-production process, or you're an entrepreneur or CEO who is not satisfied with the team that's currently producing your show, and you would rather just focus on creating amazing content and then sending it to a team that you trust to get it produced fast, I have the perfect solution for you. Imagine instead having a dedicated post-production team that not only enhances your podcast audio quality, but also manages your show notes, your social media clips, and even YouTube video editing. It's a team that turns your recording into polished professional episodes, giving you back precious time to focus on what you do best. That's exactly what Podcast Boutique offers. It's the only post-production team that is trusted by me and Grow the Show and countless other top podcasters. They provide complete podcast post-production and video editing services with an insanely fast and personal touch. Their clients rave about how much time they have saved and how their show has improved in quality after switching to Podcast Boutique. So, if you're ready to take your podcast to the next level, if you're an entrepreneur who has not outsourced yet and you're ready to do that, or your current post-production team does not get you back quality work really fast with incredible communication, then you should head over to podcastboutique.com or click the link in the show notes, fill out a quick form and set up a chat with Podcast Boutique. Have I stressed that they are unbelievably fast and good at what they do? Once again, that's podcastboutique.com or you could just click the link in the show notes to learn more and finally get post-production off of your plate to a team that you trust. All right, let's get back to the episode. So let's assume now we've got the premise locked in. It's something unique. It's something that makes sense. You know, the podcaster's audience is like, finally, do I get it now? Then what? Now what do we do? The next category is retention. And so this plays, there's a couple levels to this. And there's some overlap with the uh, attraction. So it's like a lot of times if you have a great premise, it actually makes the in-episode experience better. And so that might come down to the structure of the in individual episodes, which, you know, is part of some premises as well, not for all. But for me, a lot of this is down to essentially like your engagement with your audience and then the structure of the actual listener experience within an episode is the kind of the two prongs of the retention side of things. And so both of these, I feel like if you 
initiate engagement a lot of times. Like a lot of people wait for engagement to come to them. Every podcaster like wants more engagement. And then what they don't realize is like, you could just go identify people who you already know, listen to your show and just start yeah. interacting with them on a regular basis every day. Just comment on their stuff on Instagram or Twitter, wherever you're, you're at. They will then reciprocate. And a lot of times people feel like, I think they look at people who are creating content or something and think like, oh, that person must get so many DMs, so many emails, whatever. I'm, I don't want to like clutter their inbox or anything, or I don't want to bother them. Not everybody's like that, but a lot of people are. And I think if you make the effort to go out there and start engaging more, they become bigger fans of yours. They kind of the, the center yeah. of gravity kind of like increases and they begin to like pull more people in. And because now you're like starting this public conversation, they're more likely to amplify your stuff. And so it gets seen by more people. And there's this really like positive flywheel effect. But you need to kind of kickstart that. So on the engagement side, that's one of the things is like actually just taking the initiative and going and starting that engagement, either with existing listeners or with people you see out in your your social feeds who may not listen, but should be listeners. Like yeah. you can all kind of tell, I think like this person's a perfect fit for my show. I can see like there's somebody who would probably enjoy what I do. So starting there. And then that other prong is like the actual episode content, like quality. And this is going to be different for every show. But I think there's a lot of stuff like the basic stuff is like really for me around the starting and ending points of the episodes. I often think of it as like a kind of like smile hmm. graph where it's like you want to start the episode super strong and, and hook people. And then you want to leave them on a high note where they're just something called the peak end rule that people might have heard about which is that people judge experiences and remember them based on the peak experience or the peak moment within that experience and how it ended. And so you could have this like really amazing trip to Disney World, but if it ended on the last day with like your kids throwing a tantrum, you're going to have a much lower impression of it, even though most of the trip was really good. And so I often think about that with podcasting is like, okay, we need to hook them off the start and get like right in the content and like validate their decision to listen within the first few minutes. And then if we can leave them, it doesn't need to be this like bombshell takeaway, but thinking about like, what's the emotion that we're leaving people with? And a lot of the sh my favorite shows, I, I think about like the ending, they like leave me with a feeling where I'm just like, ah, oh, it's like, ah, oh, that was so satisfying. And a lot of that is what happens in the last few minutes, yep. regardless of what happened in the previous, you know, 60 or whatever it is. So a lot of that, I think paying more attention, I think most people pay a lot of attention to their like actual questions they ask their guests or like the meaty content. And I think actually people should spend a lot more time focused on that. The first question and whatever that last closing, whether it's a question or a kind of like narrative piece that you have in there, how you think about music at the ending, probably not just watering it down with like three minutes of ads for your stuff at the end, like be selective with that. Yeah, that's kind of the 80 20 that I think about with retention there. That's funny. I I go hard on the beginning, right? I tell every, every listener of the show knows every week I'm like, intro, make your intro better. But I've never actually considered actually on the end of the content, you know, trying to wrap it up on a good note. And I think back to my my very first show when I got started as a podcaster was about Philadelphia. And I remember how people would reach out and be like, this episode ended so well. And I kind of like, I'm until you just said that, I kind of forgot that I got that all the time. And I didn't do it intentionally, but every single person that I interviewed, the last question I always asked them was stolen from Tim Ferriss. And it was, you know, if you could, no, my show was about Philly. And I was like, if you could get a, one message to every single Philadelphian, you know, billboard, plane in the sky, whatever it is, what would you say to them? And the guests always came up with this just like profound, incredible message. And I would end it with music underneath. And I had no, like up until literally just this moment when you said that, I had no idea what I was accidentally doing, but that was the only time that I've ever actually had that locked in. So, wow. So I think what I'll do, and just like reflecting my own takeaways 
is put a little bit more attention into how we end Grow the Show episodes to maybe, I don't know, summarize or wrap things up. Is, is that what you say? Like, well, tactically, how do, you, how do you end it on a great note? Obviously, I mentioned I have a background in music. So for me, a lot of it comes down to music. And I've produced a show. I've like made the mistake of the last show that I did. I vastly misscoped it. And part of that was like I had different, every episode had different music. I had like musical yeah, narrative breaks in between and stuff. That, yeah. like, it was a highly <laughs> produced narrative show. Been there too. And, <laughs> The, but I was like, it was the closest thing to me as a creator to actually writing songs and recording them where I was like, I just wanted to listen through them again and again and again, because I was like, oh man, the music like really hits here and there's like that emotion or whatever. And so if you're like, if you love doing that stuff and you have the bandwidth, that's a great way to do it. But there's like one of my favorite shows is uh, it's called Poetry Unbound. It's a really interesting show for many reasons. But essentially the the format is that the host, Padraig, he has a short little story to open up and then he reads through a poem and usually it's like two minutes long and then he gives an analysis of it and explains what's happening and then he reads it again and then it ends. And so they're like 15 minute episodes. And as a aside, what was fascinating to me, I've, I've written a, a newsletter post about this was like one of the things that has always kind of like I like poetry, but I never like read it and always the reason was that it makes me feel dumb. And I'm like, what is this supposed to mean? Like, <laughs> I feel like if I was a true like connoisseur, like I would be able to decipher what's happening here. And one of the interesting things that I've learned from his show, he's a very like accomplished poet, is most of his analysis of the episode is this makes me think about this, or I wonder if this is what they were trying to say. And it really spoke to me on a marketing level where a lot of times we like look at what people are doing and we think that we're dumb because we don't understand why they're doing it some way. Why do they use these words in their, their copy? Why are they structuring their episode this way? And instead, I think the value is actually in asking like, I wonder if they were trying to do this or I wonder if it makes me think that maybe, you know, this is what's happening. And so as a quick like marketing aside of like, because that's how my brain works, everything ties back into marketing. That's something interesting I've learned from that show. But that show always ends on the same music. It's just like their theme music. And it's like so it encapsulates the experience and they're very music heavy. Like the music, there's, I would say, 30 seconds of like almost no dialogue. And it's just like letting the music take you out of this experience and like transition back into the next episode of your life or whatever. And I think a lot of people like it's like quit talking episode ends and it's like kind of abrupt. And so I think this depends on what the vibe of your show is and the experience you want to give people. But I think for one, just thinking about what is my show about? What is the feeling people are probably having? And do I want to create, you know, space for them? Do I want to like bring up the energy at the end? Do I want to like ramp it down? Like what's the the end note that I want to leave people with? And how can I use, you know, production elements or some kind of like scripting or narration to support that? And kind of like you mentioned as well, I think like takeaways and summaries, things like that, reflections, it could be, but I think it, it comes down to like, what is that experience you want to leave people with? And then doing what you can to like amplify that. Awesome. So, okay, we've talked about how to redesign the show. We've talked about how to improve the show. But Jeremy, how do we grow the show? Everybody thinks there is like an exposure element. And that's how I've kind of titled this with, with the Ears Framework is exposure. And so there's a lot we could say about, you know, borrowing other people's audiences, cross promotions, feed swaps, social media, all these different things. I really think that podcasting is so hard because we don't have good data. My suspicion is that most shows get more exposure and attention than they realize. And it's actually the lack of a compelling premise or copywriting problems or any, that actually keeps them from capitalizing on it. So I think when it comes to growth, this is why that premise matters, is that you are getting more attention than you are aware of. And people are saying, no, they're like passing by it. They're, it's not catching their attention or they're seeing it. And they're like, nope, that's not for me. 
or they're not consciously saying that's not for me. They're like not convinced enough that it's for them. They have some seed of doubt of like, oh, maybe it looks kind of interesting. Maybe I'll add it to my listen later list or whatever, but they're not getting into it. So just to like hammer the point home, like that premise packaging messaging copywriting matters a lot for growth just for like capitalizing on the existing attention that you are probably already getting even though you might not be aware of it yeah and then after that i think once you have that locked in then it's time to like kind of just go to town and like okay how can i get this out in front of you know my uh, ideal listeners and so i think there's no like big secrets here in my mind it's like how do you borrow other people's audiences or build an audience on one platform that you can then redirect to another and so that could be social media. And usually what I would say for social media is like, you are going to have a really hard time getting people to listen to your podcast through social media, but you are going to have a much easier time getting people onto your email list from social media through which you can then direct them back to the podcast. And you can do that. You can automate that through your welcome sequence and all kinds of stuff. I know that's a whole other like tech platform, but for a lot of people in business, you probably already have an email list or you might not have capitalized on it or might not be using it that well. But you can set up some things that you can just have a great lead magnet and a welcome sequence. You create each of those things once and you can use that welcome sequence to direct everybody back to your podcast. And if you want to get really technical, you can even do some kinds of segmentation where you're going to present them. You're going to ask them on the welcome email, like, you know, which of these describes you most. They click a link and then they get an automatic email with, let's say, three podcast recommendations that are perfectly tailored to somebody in their situation. Those are things you can do once, set it up. The tech is not that hard to figure out. And now you have a much lower friction way to get people from social media or essentially anywhere into your content ecosystem. And then you can like sell them on the podcast after that. So for me, like I'm a huge like email first, even though I'm in the, the podcasting world. I mean, I also write two newsletters at the moment and have no podcast as of right now. So I'm a huge email nerd. But I think for a business owner, like email is where the money is. And so like make sure you're getting people on that as well as the podcast. Again, your email subscribers to listen to the podcast, podcast listeners to get onto the email list and then looking at like, okay, who else has the audience I want and how can I partner with them, collaborate with them, advertise on their platforms, whatever it might be to, to get in front of them. Yeah, so I, I'd love to talk more tactically about that. Like what are ways that you've found that you've been able to get your clients to successfully be able to collaborate with other creators and folks who have an audience to quote unquote borrow their audience, as you said? For a lot of hosts, especially anybody who's teaching anything like podcast guesting is a really natural type of activity or, or type of collaboration to pursue. That too is getting more competitive. Yeah. And so there's, I can't remember the, I think his name is Andrew Chen. And I'm pretty sure he was one of the early marketers at Uber, I think. I think it was Uber, not Airbnb. But anyway, he has coined this phrase, if it's the right guy I'm thinking of, it's called the, the law of shitty click-throughs. And it's this marketing phenomenon that essentially any marketing tactic that exists eventually becomes watered down. It works well at the start and then everybody jumps on the bandwagon and it gets watered down. Yeah. And so like podcast guesting is certainly something that this has happened to where it used to be really easy to get on shows and now it's much, much harder. And so the thing, and this is like even from a brand perspective and can tie in heavily to your premise as well. For podcast guesting to work today, like you need a point of view that is distinct and unique and not something that everybody else is saying. Yeah. And this is something that's like hard to teach. Like, I can't tell you what your point of view should be. It has to be internal. It has to be based on your beliefs about your ecosystem and your space and what the, the gaps are. Usually when I talk to people about this, it's like, okay, no matter who, there's people like that we all look up to in our spaces and there's people we disagree with. I like looking at both of those and saying like, okay, what do I think the people who I ardently disagree with and think that they have the wrong approach to whatever my topic is, like, what is my alternative to that? And why don't I agree with that? 
but then also looking at the people you do agree with and you do like and saying like, what do I think they're wrong about? I feel like there's some gold that can be found in there that really builds out your point of view. A lot of times we end up trying to, you know, not even trying to, but we subconsciously emulate our heroes and idols. But I think developing that practice of like, what do I think they're wrong about? Because they are certainly wrong about things. Like nobody is 100% right about anything. And so training yourself to think about like, is this right? And like, why is this right? Or why, why might this be wrong? That's going to open up really interesting ground for you to occupy and build your brand around and create content around that makes you a really interesting alternative. So podcast guesting, that can really help for that. But uh, yeah. That law that you shared reminds me of a presentation I saw at a mastermind earlier this year by Rich Sheffrin, I think his name is. Uh-huh. He mapped out how every marketing tactic has like a five-year lifespan where at the very beginning, you get massive, massive returns just because you're early to it because you're just one of the few people doing it and it's like this new marketing channel. And so there's just all this attention that's untapped. And then with time, and it's like all seems to always be a five-year horizon. By the end of the five years, everybody is doing that. Like it, over the time, it becomes more expensive to do it. There's more competition to do it. And then by the end of it, you kind of have to do it because everybody else is doing it, but you don't get any results just because you're doing the thing like earlier on. And so I guess the challenge there, this kind of is outside of the scope of podcasting, but I guess for just us as business owners, the challenge is what is that thing now where you get outsized marketing returns just because you're one of the few people doing that? I don't know what the answer to that is. <laughs> the dangerous thing there is too, like there's a huge amount of luck because yeah. there are always going to be things like this. There's always new stuff up and coming and you can like bet on the wrong horse. And yeah. I think partly not everybody is suited to be an early adopter to everything. And I think yeah. a lot of the people who really win big on those things, some people get lucky and other people are just compulsive experimenters. Like this is their job and they are marketers or experimenters or whatever it is that like they just are active everywhere and trying everything out. And they understand they've been doing it long enough that they understand the trends and the bigger picture of how everything fits together. Yeah. Whereas like most business owners, like you're not going to be in that position. And so I think it's like, not necessarily even worth trying. It's like, how can you be like an early laggard? I think is the the term after yep. early adopter. It's like, okay, yep. this is showing promise. I've seen it validated. Like now let me start to think about taking this seriously. But also knowing that like, okay, when Twitter was potentially going down, then Blue Sky and like all these other ones, Mastodon. I mean, you could make an argument that like those have been somewhat successful, but I don't think anybody that I know has like blown up an audience on there, on any of those platforms that, you know, when the big exodus was happening yeah. or you look at Clubhouse and like all these other ones, like right. some, there was a very brief window where some people did really well and then they just kind of tanked. And it so disappeared. I think like it's a bit of a risky game trying to like pick the right horse to bet on. Yeah. Sometimes you might win. Oftentimes you might not. And you kind of have to just like be in the right place in the right time. Yeah. Yeah. I know a couple of people who really went all in on Clubhouse and just like moved their whole business strategy to Clubhouse back in 20, like what, March 21 or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There was cost to that because it disappeared to, uh, virtually disappeared two months later. And then they were like, oh no, now I'm <laughs> relying on this thing. What I try to do is like, I just look at what is like the huge creators that are known to be super bleeding edge. Like as an example, Gary Vaynerchuk, like he's got an entire army of people figuring out what that bleeding edge thing is. And so it's like, what is he talking about right now? And have him tell me what to be an early laggard on. Also, I mentioned Rich Sheffern. He's got a whole thing. I haven't bought it, but it's called Steal Your Winners, which I think that's the whole premise is that Steal Our Winners or something like that. The whole premise is that, hey, we're going to go figure out what these marketing tactics are that get early returns so that you can just pop on them. So either way, let's bring it back to podcasting. Unless, do you have any other thoughts on that? The last thing on that, I think, is just, 
it's funny because this exists, it goes back to the premise concept too and everything. And I think we get sucked into, we want to do things that feel safe as just as people. And so we tend to do things that are like what other people have done. And we often assume that other people are more successful than they are. And so I think when you're looking at, okay, Gary Vee's talking about this, but I don't really see anybody else doing that. Like it feels risky for me to go all in on that, even though Gary's saying it. And so we don't. And so I think when you're innovating in any respect, you don't know you're on the right track by the fact that nobody else is doing it, but you almost know that you're on the wrong track if everybody else is doing what you're doing. And so like right or wrong, like you have to do something different probably if standing out in a big way is your goal. And there is some real necessary discomfort to that. Totally. Great point. Okay. So let's talk about the last piece, sales. So how can our listeners generate sales from their podcast? Yeah. So I I mentioned email before. I think podcasting is just a great medium for many things, not a great medium for anything called action oriented. People are just Mm. too busy. There's too much friction. They're often doing other things. And so that's where really for me, like podcasting is where you can really accelerate and warm up that relationship in a short amount of time where people can binge through their episodes. But email is just a much better platform for sales. And part of this, there's an idea called platform psychology that is essentially like people associate certain actions with certain platforms and mediums. And people are just not accustomed to buying things through podcasting. Whereas I think probably everybody listening has bought something through an email at some point in their life, probably many times, and maybe on a weekly basis even. And so email as a platform like has the associated behavior of sometimes I buy things through email and I have clickable links that make it easy to go to the sales page and all this like stuff just is in email's favor. And so for me, a lot of like what I work with people over the a longer term, this is usually not something that we're just like get done in the first couple months. It's like, okay, we cover the podcast side of things, but we also want to build up an email strategy where you have a reason to get people onto the list. And then you also have some kind of regular correspondence. Doesn't need to be like a 2000 word email every week, but just like something that people like open your emails for that they enjoy getting. They have a positive association with your emails. And then when your promotion comes around, like they're going to open the email at least. And hopefully, you know, the offer is also suited to them. So that's kind of like a, from a structural standpoint, I think some of the prerequisites. And then from there, you can get a lot more into like campaigns from a like cross platform standpoint where like you can structure your podcast episodes to kind of cue people to and like prime them to buy almost by answering some of their objections up front, not explicitly, but like, you know, okay, I want, I've got this new offer. I know these are the things that people might say like, oh, well, is it for me? Or like, you know, I can't do that because of this or whatever. You can create a podcast episode around each of those things leading up to it. So now when you actually open the cart and announce the thing, people are like, oh, okay, I, this, this actually is 100% for me. Like I, I've, all my questions have been answered totally. and I already like Kevin and this new program is up here. It's, it's going to help me go where I want to get to and I have no excuses left. And so it's like a really, maybe not easy. I, I think sales is never like super, super easy. There's always your like, the people's inclination is to say no to almost anything. So you're always kind of fighting against that. But it's going to be much easier than if you haven't put that legwork in, you know, over the previous few weeks or month or whatever, kind of like priming people, talking about the topic, getting them thinking about it, overcoming those objections, and then, you know, opening the cart then. Oh, yeah. It's so true. Whenever I get an application for the Grow the Show Accelerator and I say like, what do you need help with? And they like I'll see an application that like uses my phrasing to describe (laughs) what they need help with. They're like, I need a cat one premise. I'm like, Nice. That's going to be a fun call because they already are so familiar with what I talk about. Awesome. Okay, cool. So now it sounds like now just to before we move on and wrap things up, you kind of alluded to this earlier, but it sounds like what you're saying is understand that the podcast is about as good of a lead nurturing mechanism as you'll ever get. 
you can CTA your stuff on your podcast, but it sounds like what you're saying is you, the goal is to really get them onto your email list because that's where you're going to have the best bridge from listener audience member to actually, you know, paying customer and client. Is that the gist? Yeah, I think of like, you know, there's no reason not to do CTAs in your podcast necessarily. I mean, maybe there are some, but like I, I haven't noticed any like real big red flags mm-hmm. or anything. I just wouldn't have any expectations that people will actually do anything with it. And so from a like marketing perspective, there's like many stages that people need to go through. If we go back to like thinking about a classic funnel, like awareness is at the top. And so yeah. that exists for everything. It exists for like you as a business, but it also exists for your individual offers. And so I would more think about using the podcast to create awareness that this thing exists, even if you're not going to take action on it right now. And then the email is going to be the more timely prompt to like, hey, here's this thing happening. Maybe there's some urgency to it. And it's a bit of a, I don't want to say like people don't like hard pitching or anything like that. That's not what you need to do to sell. You don't need to do like hard pitching, sleazy, anything like that. You should essentially have an offer that helps people that very clearly get from where they are to where they want to go. And if you can articulate that, like, okay, you're here, you want to be here, here's this bridge to get there. And you can do that in a compelling way. Like you can do really well at sales, especially if they're already a warm audience who knows, likes and trusts you from the show. And so really like the email though is going to be that action oriented, like, okay, here's the thing. This is where you are. This is where you want to go. Click the link to learn more or sign up or whatever. But hopefully they've already been made aware of it through the podcast over the previous, you know, months or however long it is. Totally. This was an absolute masterclass (laughs) in how to grow monetize a podcast for a business owner. You know, before I ask you what people can do if they want to learn more from you, is there any piece that you feel that we haven't touched on that the listener should know? I spend all my time talking about concept and premise and that kind of stuff of just like starting at the ground floor. When you've been doing your show for a while, there's a lot of sunk cost that goes into it. But I think at some point, if you've tried, and I talk with so many people who've like, I've done promo swaps, I've done collaborations, I've guessed on shows, none of it's worked. I would take a hard look in the mirror at that point and say like, okay, I've done these things that work for other people. What does that mean about my show? It could mean you're getting in front of the wrong audience, or it could mean that you're getting in front of the right audience, but you don't have something that's interesting enough to them to really pull them back. And so I think like we kind of mentioned before, once you actually experience that of like having something that people just flock to when you tell them about it, I always think about looking for these eyes light up moments. So like when you give somebody like the one or two sentence pitch of your show, are they like reaching for their phone and they're like, oh, I got to download that right now. That's the signal that you're on the right track. If they're like, oh yeah, that sounds really interesting. I'll check that out later. That's, oh, I'm going to be polite. And uh, no, they're not going to. They're not going to. So yep. yeah, start start at the ground level, uh, nail that down and everything will be much, much easier going forward. Yeah, incredible. Couldn't agree more. Dude, uh, if folks, you know, want to learn more, more from you, get in touch with you, what should they do? I uh, put a page together at podcastmarketingacademy.com slash grow the show, all one word. Nice. And uh, there I've got, we talked about the ears framework today. I've actually got a automated quiz audit that you can take that uh, you answer 20 questions, takes about two minutes, and it will give you a ranking in each of those ears categories. So you can kind of see where you might be weak, where you might be strong, and what you can do to uh, fix any of those uh, issues that you might have. Awesome. Well, we'll throw the link in the show notes. Folks can go check that out there. Jeremy, dude, thank you so much for the time this rocked. Yeah, this was so much fun. Thanks so much for having me, Kevin. My pleasure. 